Hi, and welcome to the sixth episode of What I'm Obsessed With Now, with your friendly host and obsessive, Byron. Christmas carols and Christmas movies have always held a special place for me. It's probably becoming clear to you that I like those things in life that inspire wonder in the world. What is more wonderful than Christmas and the fat man cleared of millions of break and enters? Santa. A big fat guy flying at the speed of light to give kids presents and spread cheer. Christmas got into my brain before the cynicism took hold. I mean, if someone told me about a guy who wanted kids to sit on his lap and he'll give them a present, well, I'd say that's a bit sus. But no, Santa is an honest, jolly guy. He just wants people to be happy. What more could you ask for? Well, he wasn't always the cartoon character we know now, but we'll get to that. And those of you making jokes about Santa getting and then spreading COVID, shame on you, scaring kids. Also, Santa is immune to human diseases. I mean, he still hasn't gotten diabetes and he eats a ton of cookies. Just think of the amount of plagues and blights that he has lived through. That man is tough. Some say he isn't even from this planet, but I'll leave that to the UFO episode. One of the ways that I get into the Christmas spirit, besides food, because I love Christmas for the food, puddings and brandy cream, every animal roasted with crunchy potatoes. Mm. Um, Where was I? Oh yeah, the way I get into the Christmas spirit is through Christmas carols. Not usually the type of music I would listen to by choice, but when a little piano music comes on around this time of year, I get all holly jolly. That's where we'll start our white journey. Oh, that sounds a bit KKK. I'm going more for KK, you know, Kris Kringle. Okay, Christmas carols. Okay, Christmas carols are where we start our jingle journey. There, that's better. Let's go back in time. To a time before iPhones and Netflix. Back to when the world was black and white and fun had not been invented. The time we are looking at is 4th century Rome. The first known Christmas carols, a carol being a song or hymn, weren't your white Christmases or jingle bells. There was no mummy kissing Santa. She would have been considered a witch and burnt at the stake. The first Christmas carols were a bit more like cult songs praising the Lord. It was a way to confirm your belief and to sing a song of what that belief meant. I mean, it's pretty much what cults do. But let's not get into the, is Christianity the world's biggest cult? Doesn't feel right in a Christmas episode. Oh, and don't worry, it's not just the Christians I have a suspicious eye on. One of the first Christmas carols, and I use that term loosely, was the Veni Redempta Gentium, written by the Bishop of Milan. The man, the myth, Bishop Ambrose. This was a time before Milan was a place of high fashion and Ambrose was more likely to be a fashion designer. The Veni Redemptor Gentium, or Come, Thou Redeemer of the Earth, was a hymn. Essentially, it is a propaganda song, saying we are right and the believers of Arianism, think kooky Christians, not Austrian dictator, were wrong. Martin Luther translated the song into German, 
But because of the KKK thing before, I'm thinking of Hitler now and his is the only German accent I can think of. So I can't say the name without being highly inappropriate. To give you a flavour of the hymn, have a listen to a couple of verses. I'm giving you the English translation because surprise, surprise, I can't speak Latin. From God the Father he proceeds, to God the Father back he speeds. His course he runs to death and hell, returning on God's throne to dwell. O equal to the Father thou, gird on thy fleshy mantle now. The weakness of our mortal state, with deathless might invigorate. Basically, he's saying the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit is one and the same or the Holy Trinity. But those pesky Arians, again, not the goose-stepping kind, believe that Jesus and his papa were distinct people and Jesus is less than. I mean, Christians are the leaders in the art of semantics. So the first Christmas hymns weren't great, right? A bit dull and too preachy. Moving on, you get to the songs we would recognise. This is around the end of the 18th century and start of the 19th. Songs like The Twelve Nights of Christmas and Deck the Halls. There are both religious and non-religious examples, but probably safe to say most were still religiously derived, even if not obviously so. This is the time where we start to get some happier, non-anti-Aryan songs. Whilst we would all recognise these, they aren't necessarily the fun ones we love to hear and sing after having one too many eggnogs. Oh, by the way, I've tried eggnog once. It's gross. What are you people thinking and how much alcohol do you have to add to make it taste good? The modern and fun Christmas carols happen around the middle of the 20th century. This is when you start to get pop stars and contemporary music. Songs like White Christmas and Little Drummer Boy. And as a drummer, I loved Little Drummer Boy. Rup-a-pup-bum. And boy, did I annoy a lot of people walking around rup pup bumming Imagine me walking around the house going rup-a-bum-bum, 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 rup-a-bum-bum. Then we get to the really poppy songs, like Do They Know It's Christmas? And this might be a controversial opinion, but you can't put Christmas in the name and call it a Christmas carol. I mean, technically, a carol is a song, so yes, it is a Christmas carol, but it doesn't have the feeling of one. It has the feeling of guilt about poor people, sung by rich people to guilt people with less money than them to give money. rub pump bum Do They Know It's Christmas is a buzzkill, more Ambrose than Bing Crosby. But my favourite Christmas carol is one about the newest reindeer, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw him, you would even say it glows. Due to copyright law, that's all the Rudolph you get. I love this carol and I want to share with you why it's such a special song. So strap into a sleigh and grab hold of your ho-ho-hos. People wouldn't describe me as being a jolly fellow. I don't think I'm the Grinch, but I can't imagine dressing up like an elf and spreading joy. With that in mind, it may come as quite a surprise to many that whilst most of Christmas can annoy me, there is one part I love. 
Christmas carols hold something that even a Grinch like myself can appreciate. I find myself humming or singing them as Christmas approaches, something that makes my dog Lily very happy. She may be the only fan of my singing. Even here in Australia, where it gets so hot that the roads start to melt, I can sing White Christmas with a smile. Chief amongst all Christmas carols for me is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph is the most famous reindeer in history. When you think of a reindeer, I bet his name comes the quickest. Name the others. You get to Vixen and start to name the seven dwarves, but Rudolph is a star. There are many reasons that I love good old Rudolph, but there are three main points I'd like to put forward to the Court of Podcasting Christmas Court. Rudolph's Red Nose I identify with a mutant, luminescent reindeer. This would be my introduction to group therapy. It is common that with which we connect is often a mirror to ourselves. As a kid, I was not what you would call popular. I was quiet and often excluded from reindeer games. I didn't have a red nose, but I did have big ears that took me years to grow into. For the longest time, my mother shaved my head. Those big ears made me look like a chimp. I'm not scarred at all. And I could climb really well, and I didn't connect the two for way too long. It was comforting to come into Christmas, regardless of being laughed at or called names like Monkey Magic. They won't laugh if I fling my poop at them. Anyway, at Christmas, it was comforting to hear Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It made me smile. It's funny as a kid, you don't even need to be the same species to feel connected to a fictional character. Every time I hear Rudolph, I smile and feel comfort in the success of that glowing freak. If someone like Rudolph could make it, then so could a big-eared kid who looks like a monkey. The second thing that makes me love Rudolph is that he showed success comes from what makes you unique. In a society of perfect skin, trim bodies and airbrushed faces, who would have thought an ordinary reindeer with a serious case of rosacea would be the hero? That is the point, though. It was his uniqueness that made him special. He was laughed at and ridiculed, but Santa saw the value in him. When I'm having a bad time, when my non-conformance to an egocentric, extroverted world feels to be my undoing, I think of Rudolph and it puts all in perspective. I keep my head up and work hard. Santa will see the value in my red nose as well. Uniqueness will be celebrated when you find the right place and the right people. And sometimes, those who didn't see it before will come to their senses. Everyone feels like they have a red nose, and some people deal with it by pushing others away. Keep your red nose high, that's what I say. If it wasn't for his glowing nose, then Christmas would have been ruined. The third reason why Rudolph is my favourite is that his story isn't one of rampaging revenge. This is the main reason I think everyone needs to sing Rudolph the most. Even after the poor treatment by the other reindeers, Rudolph becomes a leader in the truest sense of the word. He guides the sleigh, but also stands up and guides his new friends. He doesn't push them away when he gets his sparkle. He welcomes them with open, hoofed arms. With the favour of Santa, he could have used this to the detriment of the other reindeers. He has the ear of the big cheese. Think how satisfying it would have been to make those reindeers pay. Come Dasher, come Dancer, you're sleeping outside tonight. And I bet Santa wouldn't say no to a nice venison steak. 
Success comes from being your best person. Regardless of how other people treat you, becoming that with which you hate does nothing but make your success hollow. Teaching others by example actually changes something. Rudolf stood up and took a stance. No matter the treatment he received, he would only show the example he wanted to see. Imagine if we had more Rudolfs in politics, sports, or even in our home lives. Lead by example, regardless of the names the others call you. Rudolf changed the reindeer culture, not just for himself, but for all the other freaks that would follow. Santa saw something in Rudolf, and the message makes me smile when I hear the song. This Christmas, be Rudolf. Be the change you want to see in others. Look for that person with the big red nose and let them know how important they are. Maybe don't mention just how red or big it is though. They can be sensitive about that sort of thing. Ensure you let them play in your reindeer games. Remember, sometimes people don't realise they need a big red nose to illuminate their path. So where did the man that saw something special in Rudolph come from? Santa was a real man. Or at least, he was based on a real man. Before he transformed into the holly jolly fat man flying across the globe, he was a simple pious man. Let's start at the start, before he was a saint. Good old Nick was born in Parada, Roman Empire, on about 15 March 270 AD. Now take those dates with a grain of salt. It was a long time ago, and the Romans thought about dates different to us. Parada is in modern Turkey, but Nick is referred to in most sources as a Greek. Now I don't want to get into the Greek-Turkey argument here, so let's just call him Greek for now. Nick became the Bishop of Myra after returning from the Holy Land, after the then Bishop died. Coincidence? Or is Saint Nick a cold-blooded killer? Probably coincidence. I mean, people died from scratches back then. He put his hand up, and bingo bango, he was the bishop. I'm sure there was more to this, but let's condense for brevity. So saints are like superheroes of the Christian world. They need to have a superpower to be canonised. In this case, superpowers were miracles. Nick's first documented, term used loosely, miracle was meeting a lady with a withered hand. He laid hands on her, prayed, did the sign of the cross, and her hand was healed. That was his first miracle, his origin story, if you will, before he took on the cape. So here are a couple of other miracles that I thought were interesting. I have clearly picked out the strangest. The full list can be found at stnicholascenter.org. Okay, I didn't know this one, but you can exercise a tree. Demons lived in all manner of statues and idols, and he would rid them from all manner of object. The villagers came in one day and said, Bishop Nick, the tree in the front yard is cursed. It made me do some sick stuff. Nick went out, said demons be gone, swung an axe at it, and the demons got scared and left. Boom, superhero Nick to the rescue. To recap, he scared a tree demon with an axe. Just think how much shorter the Exorcist movie would have been if all the priest had to do was swing an axe. The next miracle on our journey into the origins of Saint Nick is a little dark and really weird. Three kids are out being kids. 
They get lost and come back to town when it's dark. They see the butcher shop is lit up and they wander in. Mr. Butcherman, yes, you the one with the kid-sized knife. Can we get a slice of grub and hang out here till the morrow? The butcher said, yeah, here, have a slice. Slice, 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 he chops them up. Then he puts them in his salting tub for seven years. Then pre-Saint Nick came around and said, let me see your salting tub. The butcher obliged for some reason instead of making Nick into tinsel. He said, rise up children, and the, and the kids got up and walked off to happy families. Yes, the bits of children coalesced and walked out of the tub. The families are like, sweet, we've been wondering what happened. While we're here, can we get a pound of sausages? Is it cheaper with or without the kids added? I mean, we are on a budget. The story does raise some questions. Why did it take seven years? What was Nick waiting for? Did they come back to life at the age they died or plus seven? Did the butcher get punished? Technically, they were unharmed. The worst he could be charged with is kidnapping. And do you think the butcher was kicking himself that he preserved them? Could have sold them as pork chops and some mints and he would never have been found out. This is probably where Saint Nick being the saint of children comes from. I mean, if he brought them back from the dead, I'd set up an altar to him as well. Such an odd story, though. Sounds almost made up. Another odd miracle, and something I didn't know, apparently there used to be dragons. I mean, flying reindeer are cool, but imagine if Santa flew on a dragon. Didn't give you coal if you were bad, his dragons would turn you into coal. Anyway, a village was being terrorised by a dragon. Saint Nick came by and laid his hands on the creature, and the dragon was charmed into submission, never again to bother the town. You see, that sounds like the start of a story of how Saint Nick got his dragon. I mean, missed opportunity. The last miracle we'll speak about is again a little odd. Not as odd as chopped up kids, but odd. This is one of the examples of Christian stories making absolutely no sense. Like, the writer never met a person and definitely not an editor. It goes like this. Old couple fall into poverty because the husband can't work anymore. The old man is a big Saint Nick fan, prays to him all the time. And then he's like, old Saint Nick clearly can't do much for me now, so I have to sell this cow. Goes to the market where he bumps into an old guy, secretly Saint Nick. Saint Nick buys the cow, I mean, old guy buys the cow with gold. While the guy is coming back from the market, St. Nick brings the cow back to the wife and says, me and your husband are best friends since forever, here's the cow back. She flips out, thinks he wasn't man enough to sell the cow. He comes home and she says, I'm divorcing you for lying about selling the cow. I mean, a bit of an overreaction. He flashes the gold St. Nick gave him. Suspiciously, she changes her tone, drops to her knees, and you know what happens next. Both of them pray to St. Nick. I think this story is supposed to show what a great guy St. Nick is, but surely he could have given the old man the money at home and not make him walk to the market, then nearly cause his divorce. But what do I know? I'm not a saint. This was just a little taste of his miracles, and personally the most entertaining. To be fair, there are many others, but they are much more boring. Because of these miracles, he was canonised and became the patron saint of the following. 
children, coopers, sailors, fishermen, merchants, broadcasters, that's me, the, the falsely accused, repentant thieves, brewers, pharmacists, anchors, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, Aberdeen, Galway, Russia, Greece, the Hellenic Navy, Liverpool, Bari, Sigiwa, Sigiwi, Moscow, Amsterdam, Lorraine, Royal School of Church Music, and the Duchy of Lorraine. Students in various cities and countries around Europe. Also, reindeer. Not officially, but I assume he is. And most importantly for us, due to his secret gift-giving, the myth of Santa was born. Saint Nick died at the ripe old age of 73 in Myra, the Byzantine Empire. Byzantine because, you know, the Romans didn't last forever. This is modern-day Turkey. Is this why we eat turkey at Christmas? Oh, oh, oh! Modern-day Santa is based off Saint Nick, and he sounded like a pretty amazing guy if his superpowers, I mean miracles, are to be believed. It is strange that we don't see these giant impressive miracles now that we have recording equipment. How great would it be to see a dragon be tamed or chopped up kids come back to life? The luck of these miracles are strange, right? The base material is understood, but where does the jolly fat guy in a red suit come from? That's what I, and I assume, you want to know. It starts out with what I call the transitional Santas. The English Father Christmas was dressed in either red or green robes, lined with fur. He is cheerful and merry and sounds like the beginning of what we would recognise as Santa Claus. He is all about food and booze, good cheer and peace. Not that they all go together necessarily. He seems like a drunk uncle at Christmas, chasing the kids around. Too loud, but everyone has a great time. In Dutch, Belgium and Swiss mythology, they have a similar guy and he is celebrated to this day. The same idea of a cheerful man giving gifts. A little quirk here is those in the Swiss-German region have a guy named Schmutzli. He carries a broom around to spank naughty children. He hits them with a broom. There are some other transitional Santas, but I think these two groups broadly show the beginnings of how we got modern Santa. A nice guy being merry and giving gifts, and sometimes a smackdown. I have to say, I like Father Christmas, and he sounds fun. In the 1930s, Santa, ever popular, was being used for capitalism. You know how that makes sense. The idol that gives gifts for nothing is totally a capitalist. Coca-Cola used this image in its adverts, the red suit and rosy cheeks. They did not invent this image, rather they co-opted it. So the next time someone says Santa was invented to sell Coke, blah blah blah, tell them to keep their anti-jolly agenda to themselves. From the transitional Santa, we got Santa moving into popular culture. And as, with most things, he became incredibly G-rated. Can't sell children, sugar and toys with a guy that hunts them down with a stick. In this instance, I think it was a great move. I want to avoid getting sacks of coal or being hit with a broom. The idea disseminated into popular culture, allowing for writers and musicians to continue to build on the myth of Santa. Removing him from his religious beginnings and being the kind and hard-working gift giver we all know now. Capitalism is a contentious issue. But it did give us Santa, and that's something to be happy about. Now, let's quickly talk about the reindeer. There are many reasons floated as to why Santa is shuttled around by reindeer power. 
My favourite theory is that the myth of the flying reindeer comes from the Sami shamans. They are a native peoples of Norway, Sweden and Finland. They would use mushrooms called fly agaik, agaik, agaik. It's your traditional looking toadstool, red with white dots. The mushrooms would make them trip out and hallucinate that things were flying. Basically, the flying reindeer came from people tripping on magic mushrooms and who said drugs were bad. We have been looking at where Santa and the myths around his existence have come from. Looked at the songs that fill the air at this time of the year and the deeper messages in them. Amongst all the myths and magic mushrooms, there is a story about how we can be happier and more fulfilled. Santa is the story of a man whose existence is there to give joy to others. His focus is not on how amazing his flying reindeers are, even though they are pretty amazing, or that he can travel at the speed of light, with which a particular genius might find disagreeable. It is about spreading joy to those all around, not just to those close to you, but people you may have never met. Giving is good. It fills you with joy and a sense of purpose. I much prefer giving than receiving a present. Don't get me wrong, I love unwrapping a gift and being surprised, seeing the effort that goes into a present, big or small. But to give a gift and spread joy, to have a small taste of what Santa must feel, is my favourite part of Christmas. Here are some things that I do to get into the Christmas spirit and get that jolly feeling. Buying presents, as mentioned, is one of the best ways to get into the Christmas spirit, whether it be for my wife, the pets, my family, or more excitedly this year, my baby niece, Sadie. Picking out the perfect gift, the one that will bring them the most joy, is so exciting. Keeping all the presents a secret from my wife is also fun, building up the anticipation. It's like building a Christmas story in real life. It is the best feeling in the world to make someone's life a fairy tale. A tradition that my wife and I have is to buy presents to put under the wishing tree. I'm sure a store near you will do this, but you pick a gender and age of a child. You go into the store and you pick a present out for them. It's great fun and puts you in the eyes of a child, which there is no better at this time of year. It also acknowledges that not everyone is as fortunate. Going through a tough time should not mean that you miss out on the joy of the season. This year will be tough for even more people. That one day should be a reprieve from the struggles of the year. That special gift just for you that can make all the difference. Giving you the belief that it will get better. There is still magic out there. We will be doing that again this year because we are lucky enough to be in a position to do so. You still have time, go out and bring some cheer to the world. Send us a message on social media so we can share with others and build some more Christmas cheer. Lastly, if you can donate, this year more than any other, please do. Let the magic of the season infect you. Probably not the greatest choice of words right now. So be a holly jolly person this year. Spread cheer. Oh, and watch the movie Elf with Will Farrell. I have watched it every year since it came out. I love it amongst all the Christmas movies. It's the one I keep going back to. Seriously, a drunk elf. You won't be disappointed.
Thanks for joining me on this special episode of What I'm Obsessed With Now. I'd love to hear how you will be celebrating your Christmas, so send over a message and share with the world. Santa Claus is one of the great things that we as a species have created, a purely good creature. Well, when he's not hitting you with a broom. He's there to spread joy for all around. I mean, the original was just for the Christians, but we can be a bit more inclusive now. And for those of you out there hating on Christmas, and many have good reason, do something that is going to cheer someone else up. I was one of you for a long time. I resented Christmas, but it changed, and I came back to my childish wonder. I put this down to focusing on other people, and to bring them joy. It's about being more like Santa. And seriously, there is no more fun than watching a dog get a new toy, the pure joy, or a wife getting a special gift that I said there is no way I'm buying. And then I buy it, and it's like she's a puppy again. I mean a kid. So do something for someone else, and it will do something for you. Most importantly, I hope this year you can get some Christmas joy. We could all use it. To catch all the future episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcasting app. Leave a rating for the show to grow our obsessive community. Follow the socials and join your fellow obsessive. Links in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Byron, I'm your secret Santa, and I'll speak to you on the next episode. Written, produced, and edited by Byron Gap for Pinchicus Media. Sound design by Lily and Fred. They designed the barking, and I edited it out. Check out the full credits in the show notes and how to get in touch. Theme music by mixkit.co. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays.